0: The Local Government News Roundup is proudly supported by Davidson. For 30 years, Davidson has been strengthening the local government sector by identifying and providing the people, expertise and experience that local government needs to enhance its capability, productivity and performance. Davidson is nationally recognised for its executive recruitment services and over the past four years has built a business advisory practice rapidly evolving into one of the nation's foremost and trusted local government business consultancy firms. The Davidson methodology and approach is simple. Thinking beyond now and aiming to be a valued partner with your local government, not just for the immediate project, but for the next 30 years. Speak to Justin Hanney or Seamus Scanlon to find out more or head to davidsonwp.com.au. Davidson, your future, your partner. Coming up today on The Roundup, Victorian Council swing into emergency recovery mode after last week's devastating storms and bushfire. A surprise twist in the fight against eviction for Techno Park residents in Hobsons Bay. Analysis of councillor numbers after confirmation of electoral changes for 39 Victorian councils. New South Wales councils opposing flight paths for the new Western Sydney International Airport. Labour Party pre-selection for Newcastle Council delivers surprising results and delays. Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate refusing to participate in a pre-election survey. And the UK Council dimming the lights to save money. Hello, I'm Chris Eddy. Welcome to the Local Government News Roundup, a curated selection of news from and about councils across Australia and beyond. The podcast is brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, the national broadcaster on all things local government, with support from Davidson, the nationally recognised local government recruitment and business advisory service. The devastating impact of a bushfire in the state's west and from storms elsewhere in Victoria last week are still being felt across communities, and councils are, as usual, on the front line of recovery efforts. Ararat Rural City Council is providing support to affected communities in response to the bushfire in Pomonal, which destroyed at least 45 properties. Mayor Bob Sanders said last week the council was working tirelessly to support the needs of those impacted, ensuring essential supplies, water and generators were available. Residents were advised not to drink tap water until further notice and warned that boiling the water would not make it safe to drink. Councillor Sanders said he was shocked and stunned by what he'd seen and believed the full extent of the devastation from the bushfire was yet to be seen. The Council is committed to assisting in the recovery and rebuilding efforts. He emphasised the strength and resilience of the community in his statement. Scorching temperatures, high winds and flashing rain hit other parts of the state last week. In South Gippsland Shire, Mirboo North was particularly hard hit with damage to many homes and public infrastructure. CEO Karen Ellis has paid tribute to the CFA and SES volunteers, Council staff, Victoria Police and the many others in the community who provided support for the recovery. The Council has suspended its road management plan while it responds to the storm event and until cleanup has been. Been significantly progressed. Borbore Shire offered affected residents the opportunity to dispose of up to three cubic metres of acceptable green waste free of charge and opened the Warrigal Leisure Centre for people to access showers and Wi-Fi and charge their devices. Cardinia Shire opened relief centres in Cockatoo and Emerald after significant storm damage was experienced in Clematis, Emerald, Avonsley and Cockatoo. Challenges included widespread power outages, water supply issues, fuel shortages and damage to facilities facilities. The City of Casey reported more than a 1,000 requests for help to its customer service centre, many relating to downed trees. Access to showers was provided across several centres through the weekend due to ongoing power outages. Greater Dandenong was also dealing with many reports of fallen trees, receiving over 500 reports and requests for assistance after Tuesday's storm. A nature reserve was closed until further notice and people were encouraged to bring their devices to council libraries for charging. Yarra Rangers Shire estimated that an initial 70,000 properties were impacted in its region with nearly 7,500 still affected by power and telephone outages on Friday. High winds of up to 130 kilometres per hour in central goldfields caused hundreds of fallen branches and power outages. The shire is providing free green waste disposal at its transfer stations and a recovery officer is available to provide assistance to residents in need. The council expects the clean-up will take around four weeks. Other councils advising of recovery measures included Kingston, Wellington, Greater Geelong, Oak, Knox, Mornington Peninsula, Strathbogie, and Monash. A significant change to the planning scheme by the state government might be the saviour of up to 100 residents facing eviction in Melbourne's inner west. The Age reports that the amendment requires councils to recognise existing use rights after 15 years, which could have major implications statewide, including for squatters and where people live or businesses operate in areas not zoned for that use. The change could allow residents of Technopark Drive in Hobsons Bay to stay in their homes by claiming existing use rights. The situation drew the attention of the media last year when the residents received letters from the council advising that they would have to find alternative accommodations, prompting protests and appeals to the government to intervene. As recently as last month, the council was standing by its position that the area was not safe for residential use. It's understood that local MP for Williamstown and Minister for Local Government Melissa Horne has referred the matter to the Victorian Ombudsman. Changes to the electoral structure of 39 Victorian councils were announced last week, as reported on the Roundup. Analysis by Ben Rao at the Tallyroom website has revealed some interesting outcomes, such as the change in the number of councillors at some councils and across the state broadly. Mount Alexander, Casey and Melton councils will have one additional councillor, while Moorable will gain two. Curiously, Bulloak, Northern Grampians and Yarriambiak will reduce from seven councillors to six as a result of the introduction of multi-member wards. The average number of councillors per ward, which Ben says is a measure of system proportionality, has decreased, particularly across Melbourne. Across the state, the overall number of councillors increases by two. The number of councils using single-member wards will increase from 16 in 2020 to 46 in 2024. There's a link in the show notes to Ben's excellent analysis, including interactive maps and charts. Maroondah Council has responded to media reports about the leasing arrangements with a local boxing gym. Mayor Kylie Spears said the council has been in discussions with MVC Boxing since November 2022 regarding the terms of a new lease for their boxing gym at Jubilee Park. The old lease expired in 2018 and MVC Boxing has continued to occupy the premises on a monthly basis since then. An independent audit was conducted to verify MVC Boxing's not-for-profit status, a requirement for a community facility lease, and the auditor was not satisfied that the operations were for -for not-for-profit purposes only. Mayor Spears said MVC Boxing was offered the chance to negotiate a commercial lease arrangement, but it chose not to engage. However, last week a representative of the gym confirmed that they would commence negotiations, and Mayor Spears said the council will enter into those conversations in good faith. Briefly in other Victorian Council news, a comedian due to perform in Stonnington as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival has been removed from the program after media reports of alleged anti-Semitic behaviour. Stonnington Council issued a statement announcing that Paul Curry will no longer be appearing due to reports from a recent performance in London. Pyrenees Shire Council has apologised to residents who received incorrect rate notices recently. CEO Jim Nolan said the error was being investigated to ensure that it doesn't happen again. The exact number of residents to have received the notice has not been revealed but it has been described as significant. And the City of Greater Geelong has been designated a Tree City of the World for a second year. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organisation awards accreditation to towns and cities that meet five core standards related to the responsibility, management and celebration of trees. This is the Local Government News Roundup for the 19th of February, 2024. It's episode number 308, brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government, and Davidson Recruiting and Business Advisory Services for Local Government. Let's pick up on some stories from around the country now. And Newcastle Lord Mayor Nuitati Nelms has retained her position as Labour's Lord Mayoral candidate, winning by 30 votes over Ross Kerridge in the pre-selection for the local government elections in September. However, the Newcastle Herald reports that former ABC radio presenter Carol Duncan has lost pre-selection for her seat in Ward 2. Pre-selection for Lord Mayor and for Wards 2 and 3 were decided on the weekend, but the results for Wards 1 and 4 are still uncertain due to voter eligibility challenges. Councils in Sydney are protesting proposed flight paths for the Western Sydney International Airport, citing increased noise and planning restrictions for residents. Unlike Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport, the new airport will have no curfew wallam Shire Council's Mayor Matt Gould told ABC News that it was manifestly unfair and would diminish the quality of life for residents. The council has also raised concerns about the airport's impact on the Warragamba Dam and Catchment area. The federal government is currently reviewing submissions. A fire-damaged mansion in the Sydney harbourside suburb of Northwood is at the centre of a planning stalemate. Lane Cove Council is opposing the proposed demolition of the mansion's remains due to heritage concerns, according to a report today from the Daily Telegraph. The council wants a replica of the heritage-listed mansion designed by artist Lloyd Rees in the early 1900s to be rebuilt on the site. The site was purchased by a property developer in 2021 for $24.1 million before an arson attack in 2022 reduced it to rubble. Two people have been charged over alleged involvement in the fire, including another property developer. And the Daily Telegraph also reports new details today of the $2 billion Blacktown Quarter Project, which is set to transform Blacktown's city centre into a world-class jobs hub. Blacktown City Council and the late Lang Walker signed a deal last year for the development, expected to create over 1,000 construction jobs over five years and space for more than 4,500 permanent jobs, contributing an extra $1 billion annually to the local economy. To Queensland and Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate has refused to complete a survey from a local resident organisation in the lead up to next month's elections. The Gold Coast Bulletin reports that other candidates are also snubbing the survey about issues including the privatisation of assets, support for a cruise ship terminal and other contentious local matters. Mayor Tate said the group's core business is negativity and rather than participate in their survey, he would be communicating directly with the public about his policies. Former Cloncurry Shire Councillor Damien McGee has won an appeal against the Office of the Independent Assessor, clearing him of misconduct allegations. The case revolved around an allegation of misconduct from a business competitor after Mr McGee failed to declare his business interests while voting on a local procurement policy. As the Townsville Bulletin has reported, a first complaint was dismissed in 2018, but a second complaint was referred to the OIA, which determined misconduct had likely occurred and referred the matter to to a councillor conduct tribunal. Mr McGee then lost a Supreme Court action seeking to dismiss the complaint in 2022 and then appealed to the Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal has found that the continuation of the second complaint was an abuse of process. It's ordered the misconduct allegation to be dropped and ruled that all costs should be paid by the Office of the Independent Assessor. Noosa Council is set to expand one of the region's largest waste facilities, the Noosa Resource Recovery Centre, to accommodate increased recycling. The expansion will ensure the site meets the latest safety and environmental controls and will include a new sediment basin to manage site runoff. Sunshine Coast News reports the move is in response to a steady increase in concrete waste recycling and will help protect downstream aquatic habitats, vegetation and wetlands from sedimentation. South Burnett Regional Council CEO Mark Pitt has addressed a Queensland State Government committee on proposed amendments to legislation that could affect the rates paid by resources companies. He was part of a delegation from LGAQ that included Quilpy CEO Justin Hancock and LGAQ CEO Alison Smith. The changes would mandate the payment of local government rates and charges as a condition of a resource authority and allow the Department of Resources to take action against a resources company if their rates and charges were unpaid. The amendments aim to prevent rogue mining companies from evading rates and charges. Adelaide City Council is investigating the city's declining nightlife following the closure of 12 West End venues in the past year due to increased overhead costs and a decline in patrons. The Council plans to host a roundtable forum to discuss the challenges and explore ways to assist the nightlife industry in the upcoming budget. InDaily has reported on what has been described as a complex issue with a distinction between live music venues and nightclubs and the rise of major festivals as competition for smaller venues. The Council is also considering business assistance packages and seeking state government help. South Australia's Port Pirie Regional Council and Magnetite Mines Limited have signed a memorandum of understanding to develop Port Pirie as a green iron production hub. The MOU sets a framework for collaboration on the development of green iron production and supporting infrastructure for the Razorback Iron Ore Project. The move comes as the global steel industry shifts towards decarbonisation with Port Pirie's industrial capacity and proximity to the Braemar Iron Province making it a suitable location for a green iron hub. Plans by the city of Subiaco in Western Australia to sell an underutilised community centre to fund the redevelopment of the civic precinct appear to have changed. A public submission process has led to an officer recommendation to turn the centre into a park, according to a report from Perth Now. Subiaco residents are said to be concerned about a loss of open space and local identity through rapid urban development, and they've been advocating for a new pocket park instead of another building. The Council will decide on the site's future at its meeting on the 20th of February. And the Federal Government has pledged $811,000 in grants for 52 local projects right across the country, delivered through the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal Strengthening Rural Communities Programme. That's a mouthful. Inside Local Government reports that the funding will support local organisations to uplift their communities following COVID-19 disruptions. The projects range from improving community facilities to launching education programs and they're aimed at stimulating jobs, wellbeing and the economy in regional, rural and remote communities. Now on the Local Government News Roundup, it's time for the International Spotlight. Looking overseas for some stories of interest and the UK never fails to deliver, the London Borough of Havering plans to dim 4,000 streetlights on main roads between midnight and 5am to cut costs amid a £32.5 million deficit projected to rise to £81.9 million over the next four years. However, women's safety advocates have criticised the move, citing concerns over nighttime safety, according to GB News. The council insists the majority of consultation respondents felt the proposals would have little or no impact on them or the community, and that street lighting on residential roads would remain at full power. Across the UK, as councils make budget cuts, domestic abuse charities and organisations dealing with sexual violence are warning of a devastating impact on support services for women. The Guardian reports on concerns that cuts are likely to result in the closure of entire services, as many are non-statutory and councils are not legally obligated to fund them. The cuts come at a time when domestic abuse and coercive control are being exacerbated by the cost of living crisis. Cheshire East Council has requested an additional £17.6 million from the government to avoid declaring bankruptcy, citing escalating costs relating to special education needs and other matters. LocalGov.co.uk reported that the Council is forecasting a £13 million overspend this financial year and has already introduced cost-saving measures and is planning further actions like temporary tip closures and cutting staffing costs. The Council's situation reflects a broader issue in the sector, with nearly one in five councils in England now fearing they may need to issue a Section 114 notice due to insufficient funding. From New Zealand, the cost of an investigation into the conduct of five Wellington City councillors, initiated by Mayor Tori Farno, has been revealed. The New Zealand Herald reported that the investigation, launched following a complaint that sensitive information was leaked about a land deal, cost $43,000. The review found insufficient evidence to identify the leaker, but found that five councillors had breached the council's code by speaking to the media after the information had been leaked. The council is in question, say the whole thing was an attempt to discredit and prevent them from raising their concerns. Meanwhile, Mayor continues to fight off suggestions that the council needs external monitoring over its handling of water issues. One News has reported that the head of the Master Plumbers and the chair of the Wellington Regional Council have called on the local government minister to appoint commissioners to the council. But Mayor Fano says the move is not warranted and that the city has staved off further water restrictions and she's had positive discussions with the minister about the council's progress. Meanwhile, in Canada, the city of Kamloops Code of Conduct process is being criticised for its high costs, with nearly $100,000 spent on investigations. 17 complaints have been lodged in less than a year, but only seven of those have been investigated so far. All complaints are now handled by a third-party investigator, a change that has resulted in significant expenses. While some council members and the public have expressed concerns about the cost, the City of Kamloops CAO, David Trowin, has defended the process, emphasising the importance of good governance. Councillors have found the cost to be unpalatable and have suggested exploring less expensive methods for handling complaints. That's according to an article from CFJC News. As always, a link to that story and the others we've covered in the program today on our website, lgnewsroundup.com. That's our edition for the 19th of February, 2024, brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, with Fast Track coming up on the 15th of March, and by Davidson Recruitment and Business Advisory Services for Local Government. We have two more episodes to come in Season 3 of the Roundup. There will be some special episodes dropping very soon for subscribers firstly and our Season 4 episodes will commence in early March. The Local Government News Roundup is recorded in the city of Greater Geelong, Victoria on the land of the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'll be back soon with more local government news. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and bye for now. I'm delighted to welcome a new supporting sponsor to the local government news roundup family. It's Ventio, a leading essential infrastructure services provider, redefining service excellence for communities across Australia and New Zealand. Ventio is operating at over 400 sites and with a large and diverse workforce of over 35,000. They specialise in the long-term operation, maintenance and management of critical public and private assets and infrastructure across a broad range of industry sectors. Segments, including defence and social infrastructure, infrastructure services, telecommunications and transport. For local government, Ventia specialises in the end-to-end delivery of open space management, soft and hard facilities management, street cleansing, minor capital works and much more. Ventia brings capability in whole-of-life asset management and robust use of data for better decision-making for their clients. Ventia, making infrastructure work sustainably for our communities. Head to ventia.com to find out more.